This is a Glass Box Media Podcast. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Welcome to the Blank Podcast, the podcast where we delve into those difficult moments with some well-known guests. And sitting to the left of me is the one, the only, James Daly. Ooh, James today. Well, it's just because we were talking about it earlier and you said that James is sometimes easier to pronounce. Well, it's because I say my J is a bit wrong. And when I say Jim, I'm overthinking it now, people hear (laughs) Kim. Okay. So I get, yeah. So I find it easier when I introduce myself to just say James. But good if you do ever go into sort of um, cabaret work. <laughs> Why? You could, you could become Kim Daly. Could become Kim Daly, yeah. It, it sounds, yeah. I feel like it's quite a Scandinavian name, Kim. Yeah, it because it can be a male name. Yeah. I mean, obviously, we associate it more with like Kim Wilde. And yeah. Well, I'm thinking Kim, of... Uh, Mel and Kim. Kim Cal- I'm a bit 80s. I've got a You've bit got, 80s. Yeah, I was, I'm going to go 90s football. I'm thinking of Kim Calstrom. Ah. Played for Arsenal, I think, for a little bit. Never heard of him. Yeah. Um, anyway, I'm good. Yeah, how are you? All right, yeah, yeah. It's another rainy day in London. It is, Which is always a yeah. bit annoying. It's been a bit rainy recently. Well, and I keep wearing the wrong footwear. I've got these old vans that I yeah. loathe to get rid of, but they've got a hole in the bottom. And They're, uh, more, they're, they're sunny day shoes. You've, yeah. Yeah. It's, Canvas it's in the rain is... Proper error on my part. Canvas in the rain sounds like a song, doesn't it? Yeah, <laughs> it does. That would be the B-side to football circles. <laughs> good, good callback. <laughs> um, so, well, I mean, speaking of sport, not football, but we do have a sporty guest today. Although you brought up football quite a lot in this podcast. Isn't <laughs> That's it's reference the only reference I have. <laughs> it's the only reference point I have. Is football. Because we've got a tennis player on today. We have a very, very good tennis player. <laughs> very good tennis player. Yeah. Won a lot of things. It's yeah. Jamie Murray. Jamie Murray, of course. Uh, won... Back 23 major titles now, I think. Yeah, so a, he's, a, yeah. He's, he's half decent. Yeah, yeah, he's pretty good. And I think um, he met, uh, when he was a teenager, he was 
ranked as one of the best in the world. Moved into doubles, playing doubles, and has become one of the most successful doubles players of all time, I should think. Yeah, and it's nice for us to have a sports person on because we, we don't get many. We've had, obviously, Gary Neville and Gary Lineker on mm. before, but uh, it, it's nice for us, a bit of variety, actually. Yeah, and also an individual sport. Yeah, well, that's true. Yeah, to get yeah. into the psyche of a, a pro- yeah. and process of preparation for big tournaments when you're an individual. Although Jamie plays in doubles, and uh, but he still has an individual coach with him, and yeah. and obviously he started in the individual game, so it's good to learn about that process. Yeah, it was interesting, and he was yeah. very open as well. He was very yeah. open. Yeah, it was really you know it was a great chat, and uh, yeah, he went to some places. I think we don't normally get to hear from tennis players. Often, often when they're in press conferences and stuff, they're kind of. Uh, talking about the matches and they don't want to give too much away. So it was nice for him to sort of give us a bit of a kind of look behind the curtain at, yeah. at you know, life on tour and all that kind of stuff. I got to ask a lot of very stupid questions. Yeah. Um, which I think we should just hear Ball from. tossing was one of the ones. I think. Lots of ball tossing. Yeah. Then we'll caveat that within, <laughs> within the tennis realm. Um, yeah. So anyway, let's just get straight into it. This is Jamie Murray on the Blank Podcast. Is that what usually happens? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I just let him do all the hard work. I'd have my oat milk tea. Yeah. And chill out. You're not, right. you're not going to need to hold the microphone. Sorry. Jamie Murray, welcome to the Blank Podcast. Yeah, thanks for having me. No, it's great to have you. Um, so, what? I guess you're in between tournaments at the moment, are you? What's yeah. That, what's that like, that, that time between... Well, I mean, it's a it's an interesting, well, or, or exciting times now because we are, you know, we finished the clay season, which is kind of always good news for me, and then we go straight into all the grass stuff. So, for me, being British and like living in London, everything's at home for me. So I'm home for the next five six weeks, and we've got, um, you know, big events at, at Queens. Uh, down in Eastbourne and then obviously uh, Wimbledon after that so it's cool for it's cool for me and it's quite a nice uh, sort of point in the season where I get quite a bit of time at home because you know we start in January and go all the way through to November if not much break so actually it's kind of like halfway point in the season I get to spend like sort of maybe six weeks at home so it's quite nice because I was about to say it seems like there's about a million tennis tournaments throughout the year so I'm actually quite surprised that you seem to get that much time off yeah yeah I mean I guess that sort of can be a good and bad thing about tennis as a as a sport Um, and I mean for the players that's just that's just a job like it is like it is a long season and it is a you know, it is it is a grind because, you know, there's not really many points in the season where you get time off to just not do anything. Even like if I'm at home for a week, I've still got to train, still got to practice, yeah. Yeah. and I'm still looking forward for my next event. Um, and you know, obviously, some events are bigger than others, but every time I turn up at a tournament, I'm I'm there to win. You know, I, I want to win. So, um, you know, I'm always conscious of like what I am doing when I'm not at events yeah so you are constantly thinking when you're when you're even in that downtime yeah and it's and it's a weird way to kind of live because you are like constantly thinking of the future you're not always like concentrating just in like or enjoying this moment you know because you know that there's always something coming up in the in the near future that you've got to prepare for and and plan for and does that get the more you win, does that kind of anxiety then get even bigger? Because you think, well, I've got to defend my title and there's actually almost more to lose. 
Yeah, I mean, some people look at that. I mean, for me personally, like I understand that it's really difficult on the tour and the level is so high and like there's no guarantees of anything. So, you know, if I win a tournament, like I'm just really happy to have won. And then, you know, if next year I come back and doesn't go well and I lose in the first round or something, I don't really, it doesn't bother me that much because also I'm aware I'm like, well, I'm going to play like 25, 26 tournaments in the year. So, yeah. You know, I I can make those points up or whatever, something somewhere else. That must that's I mean that's quite a relaxed way of approaching it. I'd imagine a lot of people are different to that. Yeah, I guess. I mean, I guess like I've been playing a long time now as well, and I guess you just learn sort of how to deal with all that stuff because, like, every week you know will you know some well everyone will lose except the one guy that yeah. wins. So at some point you're facing disappointment. Um, and like I said, it is a long season. There's lots of ups and downs. And, you know, a tournament I did well in last year, like at Queen's, for example, I lost in the in the final last year and we won the year before. You know, I, I could lose in the first round this year and be disappointed. But like two weeks later, I might have won Wimbledon. So, yeah, yeah. you know, it's... There it, are fine margins. I mean, I guess for all sports, there's fine margins, yeah, isn't there? I mean, literally in tennis, you literally have fine margins <laughs> yeah. on the court. Yeah. But, which could, you know, determine, make or break a year or a, or a season or... Yeah, absolutely. And in, in doubles with, ex- I mean, except at the Grand Slams, on the, on the ATP Tour, we play Sudden Death Juice. So it's basically every game is first to four points. And then the third set is no more. You play a Champions Tie at first to 10 points. So, like, the margins are even smaller. And it's a stressful way to play because, like, every point counts and, you know, kind of not always like the best team wins um, because of the shortened, the shortened format. And that, you know, that can be frustrating. Like you can go two, three, four weeks in a row where you could lose in the first round because you lose 10-8 or 11-9 in the match tiebreak. And, you know, you're disappointed and you're frustrated and upset and, you know, the world's going to end type stuff. But, you know, next week you win those tiebreaks, you win the tournament and you feel a lot better about yourself. So it's kind of, you know, you just, I always take it like you just, you have to prepare your best and you have to be ready each week because that week could be your week. Yeah. And if it and if it is, then you've got to be ready to take advantage of that. So you could you could be losing constantly in the first round, yet playing really well. And yeah. People, people look at your record and think, oh, Jamie's playing terrible. Yeah, you're yeah, actually playing really yeah, well. He's, he's sucking up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's crazy. Yeah, it's true. And and like I said, like it can change so quickly. Um, because you can be on a on a on a bad run, like results wise, but performance wise, not might not be that much. Because ultimately, like my goal in the matches that I play, I'm trying to win 52 percent of the points. Um, and if I do that, probably I'm going to win. But that's a difference between like two or three points in a match. Yeah. That's going to be a difference between me winning 52 percent and maybe winning like 49 percent. Yeah, <laughs> and then lose it. You know, so. Um, and as we all know, 52% doesn't Any excuse. I just want, it's interesting because like you're saying, like when you're hitting a, a, a run, like, like you're saying, you're playing well, but then you're possibly not winning matches. How do you, how do you get through those times? Because you're saying obviously it's disappointing and frustrating. How for you do you channel that? Do you do it on the practice court? Do you, you know, are you are you able to relax and try and sort of, you know, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I like for me when I 
when I lose, like it hurts me a lot because I feel like I put a lot into my tennis. Mm. So my expectations are, are high um, to get back what I put in. Um, and I guess I, like, I guess with my, with my coach, with my coaches that, you know, we tried to maybe understand like why the match didn't go our way or certain things we could have done better in the match. And then, you know, whether that's probably more from like a sort of strategy point of view. And then, um, you know, I like getting back out on, on the court and practicing. Like I'm always Mm. pretty into it and I kind of see it as a way to, to get better. Um, even though, you know, I've been doing it for, for so long. Um, but I still like, I still enjoy getting out there and, and doing it because ultimately, like for me, the pleasure is getting out and competing in front of a lot of people and, you know, playing in the biggest courts in the world, biggest tournaments in the world against the best players. So for me, like the kind of motivation is, is always there. Yeah. Yeah. I guess it's that thing about, you know, the thing you love becoming a job and how, how you, and it's good that you, you know, that you still have that love for the game and yeah. to play because often like when we do things that we love it, you know, and it becomes a job. It, it's not so. It's not so interesting. Well, you become yeah. You lose your passion, yeah, for yeah, it. Yeah. passion for it. Yeah, and sometimes like you might start to just sort of resent it. Yeah. Um, but for me, like as a sportsman, you know, you can't do it all your life. And I know that one day it'll stop, and I'll never get it back. So, yeah. you know, I want to put in as much as I can in this time to get as much out of it. Um, and like I said, for me, the buzz is getting out on court and competing and winning big matches important matches and um yeah because when i stop that's it gone and it'd be difficult to kind of recreate that i think yeah. in other walks of what life do you think about that, that i start to think about it more now yeah. that i'm getting older for sure um and i start to think more about what i'd maybe do after i finish finish playing um but again that's me like looking to the future you yeah, know like yeah, yeah. let's enjoy the present and what's yeah. like yeah. Immediately in front of us. So. Do you get? Is it lonely being a tennis player? Well, it's not lonely for me because I play doubles, so I've always got a partner. Yeah. Um, but I mean, I would say that it is uh, like the, the like the journey to the top is long, and it is lonely for sure. Certainly, I would say being a being a singles player, but also I mean I experienced that growing up and mm. until I was sort of probably. 21 22 and then started to focus more on on uh on doubles and you know you're you're out there kind of trying to make your way and you're traveling to you know far reaches of the world to you know random places you know for very little money to try to just win enough matches to get enough ranking points to then maybe start to play bigger bigger events um and obviously at that stage you don't really necessarily have the funding to pay for coaches or physios or anything like that to to travel with you and you know you have to have that like real inner desire but also like resilience because um it's pretty uh i would say it's pretty difficult lifestyle and different to sort of team sports in that regard yeah absolutely because at the end of the day like it's on you you know if i suck it up then i'm going to lose whereas in a team sport, you know, if you're sucking up, your mates can help you out. Exactly, yeah. Maybe they're having a blinder or yeah. the manager's like, yeah. look, we're going to cut you. <laughs> get, <laughs> yeah. get off this pitch. Yeah, yeah. Well. you're, ru- <laughs> you're ruining it for everyone. Yeah, uh, But, you know, tennis players don't have that yeah. opportunity. Like, it's yeah. just, it's you when you walk out on the court and 
all eyes are on you and you've got to make all the decisions and and figure out how to how to perform well enough to get the get the job done. It just seems like there's a lot more pressure, I think. With all kind of individual sports, I think. Yeah, I guess um I guess that's just because it's it is on you. You know, and, and in a way like it's it can be nice because like when you walk off the court you know it's because you know, you won because you performed well. If you lost, maybe your opponent played well or you played bad. But in doubles is a bit different because like I could play great and my partner could stink it up. You <laughs> yeah, know, even yeah. even just like right at the end, the last five minutes of the match, and then we've lost, we yeah. walk off and I'm like shit. You know, like yeah, yeah, yeah. you butchered that. Yeah. Yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah. But then like next week, yeah, yeah. you know, it might roles reverse and I could stink yeah, it up for yeah. the whole match and he, yeah. he gets me out of trouble. So um, you just kind of have to, yeah. It's kind of it's what you, I guess, just what you yeah. what you sign up for. And you know, like I said, it's a long season, yeah. and there'd be plenty of matches where you know it's everything's in the balance, and you know maybe I have a little bit of magic that that day, sure, and then the yeah. next next day it's him that's that's doing it when I'm when I'm struggling. So the dynamic obviously is important between the your partners. Yeah, hugely because you know we're obviously you know we're not just walking on the court and playing a match. I mean, we're spending the whole day together mm. because we're on the same schedule. So we're getting up at the same time. We're going to breakfast at the same time. We're warming up for practice and we're practicing together. Then we're having, maybe we're having lunch and then we're hanging around waiting for a match. And then obviously we then got to go and compete in like a high stress environment. And it's a lot easier to do that if you've got a good relationship with that yeah. person. Um, I, I would imagine it's it's very difficult to be a successful team if you don't get on with the guy that you're that you're playing with because you you just have to play you have to spend so much time with that person you know more than you would Almost do like, like your yeah but, yeah but more more so you know more so because I guess for like a normal couple you know they go to work yeah, sure, and then yeah. they see each other in the evening but like <laughs> you're waking up with that person it. basically and then you're spending almost every minute of the day yeah. <laughs> till you go back to your room at night so it's um, it's not a, it's not an easy thing to do and that's why like in doubles a lot of the partnerships don't necessarily last yeah, that long yeah change it up yeah and you've you know you start because everyone's got annoying habits and the more you spend <laughs> yeah. time with that person the more you realise that yeah, and the more yeah. and you're just not getting away from it so the more it starts to like grate on you <laughs> yeah. you know and eventually it's like right okay I need to without naming <laughs> names <laughs> <laughs> what's been the most What's been the worst habit that you can think of? Um, I, d- I don't know about worst. I, I, I don't know, actually. I mean, for me, like, I'm fairly easy going in that if my partner is, like, working hard and trying his best and putting everything into it, then, like, I'm okay. Yeah. But if I feel like they're kind of slacking or they don't seem like that motivating stuff, then, like, you know, I get edgy. I get yeah, stressed sure, yeah. about it. Uh, and then that kind of leads into like the tournament or the match or, or whatever. So for me, that's probably one thing that bothers me. People playing with me probably say like being late for stuff, you know, like late for practice. And, you know, th- that can be annoying because if you only get like half an hour to practice, yeah. you know, and you turn up five minutes late, that's like... Are you quite regimented about that sort of stuff? I mean, I try to be. Sometimes like just, I don't know, you... I don't know, you just forget stuff or things run over time or you bump into someone because yeah, there's always sure, yeah. people at these events and you 
Yeah. Oh, how's it going? And then, you know, quick chat, quick chat. But that all adds up. Yeah. And eventually that just leads to me being late for whatever <laughs> Why in my head uh, do doubles players in hotels sleep in bunk beds? Uh, they don't. <laughs> no, but, yeah, that'd, be, uh, <laughs> that'd be great though. Yeah. Sorry to burst that sort of... Uh, like Step Brothers. Yeah. 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 If you played well the day before, you get top bunk. <laughs> yeah. That would be great, wouldn't it? Um, so obviously you've, you've played in doubles with your brother, Andy, as well. If you did. Yep. Does that, is that a more difficult or easier dynamic if you know someone that well? Um, it is... It's, I mean, it, it is a different dynamic. One, because... I guess one because he's your brother, but also because he's such an amazing player and had such an amazing career. Like that kind of makes it difficult from that point of view. And a lot of time, I mean, not so much now, but maybe like when we're younger, if we play, like if we play and we lose, like you know, people be like, oh, it's, "It's my fault." If we win, it's like, "Oh, yeah. Andy is great," you know, like that. So it's like no, no win situation for me, but. Um, yeah, it is it is different. And then the cool like the cool thing for me, like when we've played Davis Cup matches, is like obviously it's amazing to play for your brother. Like it's such high level sport and represent your country and like some of the matches we were able to play in the, the UK last few years is like incredible. But it's amazing to, like to you know, stand on the court next to him knowing that he wants to win like as much as you do, you know. Mm. And his ability to deal with like the pressure and things like that like you don't have to worry about him you know choking a match because he can't handle that there's 10,000 people screaming at us and things like that or you know the match is really close and how are we going to find a way to get through this because he's been there and done that so like for me that's like that's quite a calming influence it's like a confidence thing to go into you know important matches knowing Knowing that, and all you've got to do is worry about yourself. You just yeah. you've got to think yeah. about the other person. Yeah, exactly. Because I, I, I played in a charity football match the other day in front of 150 people, and I fell over the football and face planted the pitch. Okay, that was incredibly embarrassing <laughs> in front of 150 people. <laughs> when you're in front of 10,000, I mean that, that that pressure must just be crazy. I mean, I don't like the way I look at it. Is that one? It's like something I want to do from a young age. Like that was like the end goal was like to be in these situations and two is no matter how badly I, I play that day I'm still better than every single person that's coming to watch me <laughs> so I don't like I don't worry about it too much yeah you know I, I kind of I have that in my in the back of my head that there's not one person here that could be doing that I wish I could say yeah. that about playing football but I don't I definitely don't think I could I wonder if you just can you can you kind of can you switch it off a little bit though as well like the crowd? I know footballers obviously we're talking about football, but they have to because the abuse they get. But can you can you switch that off? Because sometimes even like the encouragement and stuff, you sometimes need can't deal with that as well. I don't know. Is it easy to switch that stuff off? Or do you... I I mean in Davis Cup, for mm. example. It's like it's it's harder for me. That, that's the hardest thing in Davis Cup is that because everyone there has a vested interest in the match. Like you're there to support mm. Britain, or you're there to support the other team. You're not there as a neutral, sure. which is the the beauty of the of that competition. But you, because everyone's cheering after every point, like points that really aren't that important in the grand scheme of things, 
can suddenly feel like super important yeah, and it's yeah. like one on the first set of a five set match that might go for four or five hours and you win the first point of that game and there's like huge screams and come on Jay and come on Andy and it's like you know it's like life or death yeah, yeah. and it's it's easy to kind of get caught up in that yeah. and feel like okay this point is so important and like that's draining like mentally that's so that's so tiring to to kind of try to get into that mode for like four or five hours so I kind of like the more you do it the more you kind of understand to sort of drown it out I imagine like with footballers I don't imagine like the noise is maybe that such a big deal for them but it's probably more if you're hearing like individual like insults from the crowd you know if they're going for like corners or they're on the byline things like that that stuff probably affects you more than just like screams and loud noises I think have you ever had any insults that you've heard Uh, not really no I would say I mean (laughs) I heard I heard in Acapulco last year I was watching one of the British guys playing against Dominic Team, who was like top five player in the world mm. and I mean I think tennis fans in general are pretty yeah. you know <laughs> vanilla I think when it comes to that <laughs> yeah, sort of like stuff. cricket fans aren't yeah <laughs> you know respectful yeah and then this guy he's like in the front row but the stand was like built up so he like leans over the balcony and Team's there like getting the ball and he's like hey Team you suck and, I, and everyone was like <laughs> like looking at this guy yeah. because it was like so out of the ordinary yeah, yeah. and team kind of like looked up at him and I, I guess was probably like so caught off guard by it like yeah. he always felt like he almost found it funny you know mm-hmm. and all these people obviously looking at this guy and then you could see the guy sort of like he got really self-conscious because then he then <laughs> realised like you know, that was a dick move. (laughs) Like, what am I doing? You know, and it was like the only thing that the guy had done in the whole match. And I don't know why he suddenly took it upon himself to to do that. But that's the only time I've really seen that. I mean, I think in, like in South America, some of the Davis Cup ties, like they can get quite feisty. And I mean, it's okay if you don't speak Spanish, you know, and it's it's all, you know, irrelevant in the end. But, you know, I think they get quite, quite lively with some of the stuff they're saying to the other guys. From some sort of stories that I've that I've heard, but because I guess most tennis matches, we're talking about sort of football. The, most of the crowd are neutrals, I guess, so they sort of come to watch yeah, the exactly, game rather yeah, than yeah. support one person, exactly, yeah, rather than kind of like the partisanship of a football match. Yeah, it's like a Fulham home game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> um, so, so yeah, so I guess you don't quite get that. Um, sorry, Fulham fans. Um, <laughs> yeah, you don't quite get that sort of partisanship in a way, apart from sort of Davis Cup games. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. I mean, people are coming to watch tennis probably more so, or be part of the event rather than to watch a specific person. Mm. I mean, obviously, you've got, like, your hardcore sort of Fedra fans and Nadal fans. Um, but, yeah, people, for the majority of the time, that go to watch a match, they're they're pretty neutral, yeah. Your hardcore Jamie Murray Mar- Yeah, there's a yeah. few of them, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it's cool, actually. I mean, we get, like, we get amazing support on the road and when we turn up in places there's always like Scottish you know jersey or yeah. Scottish flag or like I've played with Bruno obviously three and a half years you know it's always Brazilians mm. you know and they've yeah. got the flag or the football shirt and stuff and they're they're like very patriotic towards their their own um, and it's cool like it's yeah, it's, it's nice like that because that in itself like helps create 
atmosphere yeah you know and you you know it just gives you that like little sort of inspiration and stuff a little bit extra motivation to kind of win because you know there's there's people there that have come because they want to see you play yeah of course yeah 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 so you grew up in scotland what was yeah. what was childhood like um childhood was fun i had a great childhood yeah. i mean dumbling i think was an amazing place to grow up as a as a kid because you know it was a quiet place easily run around streets and all that stuff we lived like one minute from the tennis club and the golf club so we'd just walk there and you know spend a lot of our our time there or across the road from the tennis club was like park we'd go play football and stuff so we were like yeah we were we were all good yeah so sport was a big thing from the yeah i mean we like i always say we just because me and andy were so close in age and we did like loads of the same stuff together um, and we had like similar friends and yeah I mean we like we were very active um, like my mum and dad were both sporty so I guess I mean we I guess we, we we got it from from them but they were always very much like you know do what makes you happy play lots of different sports find out what you what you like um, and like we played football played tennis played golf and we were just we're better at tennis and <laughs> like as kids kind of if you're good at something that's your motivation yeah, to keep doing yeah, it course, isn't it yeah so you know we i mean i played loads of golf till i was like 16 17 and then once tennis got more serious then it was kind of all all tennis from then but like in scotland this summer it's just light till half 10 11 o'clock at night so yeah. you know we could you know we'd do school whatever come back play tennis get dinner go play golf at Eight o'clock night. You, have a, have yeah, full round of golf. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So yeah, I was I was loving it for me. I had good friends at, at school as well, um, and I really enjoyed school. Like I, I liked the studying and stuff. And maybe that was because I had a good group of friends who were kind yeah. of fairly sort of um, conscientious as, as well when it came to that. So for me, it was yeah, I, was, I had a great childhood. And like my dad always said to me, he's like, enjoy enjoy school enjoy your schoolish because you know they'll be the best years of your of your life and I, and you know it's kind of it's true i mean i've had some amazing moments in my life but you know when you're you're a kid and you're you know there's no responsibility no worries yeah oh, I miss those days. <laughs> oh yeah i do miss those days big time yeah sounds Not like worrying how to make teas yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well tea is another, yeah. Is, is another subject uh, it sounds like you almost had no choice but to be sporty in a way I, I guess I mean there was nothing else academic that you sort of cropped up or you were good at no nah, not not really I mean like I was good in school like I loved like numbers so I like maths like physics a bit of chemistry um, but yeah it was always like sport that was where I had most fun yeah yeah same I mean obviously I wasn't good enough to become a sports person but <laughs> <laughs> had I been obviously it would have been sport sport was great but yeah yeah, when you're face planting the pitch in front of 150 people, you know you're not going to make it as a footballer. <laughs> Unfortunately, it's a shame. Never mind. So, you started playing. What, so, what did you sort of? What would you say was even officially sort of really started playing tennis seriously? I mean, I started. I first picked up a racket when I was four, and then I reckon probably played my first tournament when I was maybe like six or seven. Okay. Um, and then we were probably like fully serious about it when we were like nine or ten um, and then we were starting to play quite a lot of competitions I went abroad for the first time 
to compete when I was 11, I think. And then, yeah, from then on, then it was kind of, yeah, that was it. Like we were training, I mean, not like all day, every day. We probably trained like Monday to Friday, maybe like three, three times maybe. And then on the weekends, like get in the car, mum and dad would pick us up and we'd go down to tournament in, in England to play. Because there's no real like competition up in Scotland, so we just we had to we had to travel down to England all the time, which was um, well, I guess for our parents was pretty knackering because they mm. had like full time yeah. jobs, you know. <laughs> so yeah, 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 they yeah. work Monday to Friday, and then like three o'clock on a Friday, pick us up and we drive down to you know Manchester or Sheffield or something like that because we got we got a tournament, and I mean they made like huge sacrifices for us to give us the opportunities that we needed to like develop our our tennis yeah um, did you even know that that kind of age though that this could be well yeah because I was okay, basically cool. when I was sort of like 11 12 13 like I was for sure one of the best in the world because I was winning a lot of the tournaments mm. abroad uh, and yeah so I guess then I'm probably thinking like yeah I can be a tennis player of course not aware of like how things can change in the next like 10 years you know yeah. uh, and you know my progress obviously didn't kind of continue at that rate because when I was sort of like 15 16 all those kids had overtaken me that I was better than when I was like 12 or 13 and then when I finished the juniors I was probably ranked like I think my ranking was maybe like 40 in the world which I mean, it probably sounds good, but actually in like big picture in tennis world, it's, it's pretty average really in terms of like going on to be the top, top of the game, things yeah. like that. Um, and then when I started playing the, like the professional tour on the, you know, adult tour, if you like, mm. once I finished juniors, you know, first couple of years I was, you know, I was doing hopeless in singles really. And I was doing a lot better in doubles and then I got to the stage where I could play much higher level events in doubles and for me it was then like okay this is going to be my chance to you know potentially have a career in tennis to play grand slams to play against the best players in the world okay I'm gonna to have to take this on and you know that was my that was how I kind of got got into into doubles really yeah so that was the moment when you sort of decided to concentrate on on doubles rather than singles yeah and and for me I mean I was really young like to be you know, starring a sort of doubles career because in the past, like most players who were sort of solely focused on doubles had probably had a singles career. And then as they sort of got older, maybe their rankings start to drift a bit, then they'd go into, into doubles. Um, but actually at that time that I was starting out in doubles, the, the prize money started to improve a lot. So, and it's, I mean, it's still growing now, even compared to now, compared to when I started in 2007, like it's grown exponentially. So now doubles is actually like a really, va well, I'm gonna say valid, maybe that's not the right word, but valid way to, or a genuine option, let's say, yeah. to, to make a career in tennis. Whereas before it was, you know, it's just singles and it's only singles. Mm. But now because there's so much more money in the game, there's a lot more money in, in doubles. So players who, you know, might not have a singles career can actually start looking from a younger age and saying well actually you know I can still make a lot of money playing doubles and being successful and there might even be some players who just literally from a young age but like, I'm going to go straight into doubles and not even worry about singles 
No, because still, you know, the dream is to be a yeah. singles player, and the dream is to, yeah, I want to be number one player in the in the world, and and still like the mentality across tennis is, you know, singles is like that's the golden golden ticket, and doubles is kind of like, you know, it's like second rate, which is not, but yeah. that's just kind of the mentality. Um, and nowadays, you know, so many more of the singles guys play doubles because the money's so good in it. Um, and that helps doubles profile as, as well, I think, mm. especially in the in the bigger in the bigger events. But for me, it's just like it's a different it's a different game, it's yeah. different skill set. Yeah. Um, and you know, there's there's like there's more than one way to skin a cat. And I think because now the the sort of speed of surface and stuff is so generic across the different surfaces, you know, there's different ways to be successful at doubles. So the singles players they can have success because they don't necessarily need to know all the intricacies of of doubles, but they can get by because they can serve well and they can hit big ground strokes, which is probably like 20, 30 years ago wasn't really that possible because you play on grass, like the ball didn't bounce past your ankles, so you had to run yeah. to, to the net. Indoors was like super fast, even outdoor hard courts were really fast, so you had to you had to play in it, but now everyone you know you watch singles. So many guys play the same way, and for me, it's not that exciting to watch because I get bored watching the same thing happen over and over again. Um, and you don't see people like able to come forward and 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 volley at the net and show no, kind of good touch or improvisation. This, uh, and stuff. volley kind of game is kind yeah, it's, of it's gone. Yeah, isn't it? but then you know, like if I watch videos on YouTube of you know US Open in 1992 and stuff for me I find it's incredibly boring because it's like three shot rallies because it's yeah, there yeah. maybe the guy misses the return if he does make a return the guy comes in volleys and then he's it's a winner or the guy has a shot at pass and that's it done and for me that's not exciting because then I obviously grew up watching Rafa and Andy and Federer and Djokovic like yeah. you know take the game to like a whole new level and like the rallies and stuff the physicality of it's like mm. is just incredible um and what they were able to the level they were able to achieve and like the well, again yeah physicality like what they could go through in order to win these matches like just unbelievable to to watch and even like for me as a player like in, inspiring you know to to, yeah, to yeah. see that You know, you know, like in doubles where you got the guys at the back and then you got the two guys at the front. Yeah. You know how, like in cricket, like they sledge each other when they're like whispering in their ear and like you're rubbish. Do the guys at the net like start slagging each other <laughs> off? I mean, like, your mate, your grip's awful. You're- I mean, that doesn't no, that doesn't happen. But I've I've like watched badminton and obviously it's a smaller court and they're in much closer um... proximity. Yeah, proximity, yeah. and you see them like you know, they, they're getting the fist bumps and they're shouting, but, you know, there's, like, a proper sort of stare down. But in in tennis, like, doesn't really, no. doesn't really happen. Is yeah. there, so there's kind of a what shame. code of etiquette, really, in tennis, do you feel, compared to some Yeah, I think, like, players probably, you know, sometimes players get pissed off and angry mm. with either themselves or, you know, maybe it's the umpire or, you know, occasionally you see it with, with, the, with their opponent, you know, and then that gets put on social media mm. and kind of gets blown up for what it was. But like at the end of the day, we're kind of like traveling circus because it's all the same players each week turning up at the tournaments and 
you know, one week we're playing in Rome and then we all go to Madrid and then, you know, so we're seeing each other like all the time and I, I find it hard to kind of like fall out with someone to the point that it's just awkward for me to then have to like see them the next day in another mm. tournament and, yeah, you know, in doubles also, you know, I could be playing with you, hopefully not, <laughs> one, one week, <laughs> if your yeah, football skills anyone to go by, but then next week I'm playing with you, so... Yeah. Like, if we're playing against each other and, you know, we're having a Barney, but then next week we're going to Stockholm and we're playing together, then yeah, that's yeah. just... Oh, so I'd say the doubles guys are pretty... Um, everyone seems to get on pretty well yeah. with each other. Yeah. It's quite... It's power, quite yeah. yeah, it's more social, I think, yeah. than, the, than the singles guys. Like, they they tend to now have, like, you know, big teams and they're kind of, like, in their bubble and stuff, yeah. yeah. Um, but, yeah, I think, the, I think the doubles tours are more fun tour to be on I would have I would have thought than the than the singles yeah mm. <laughs> I was about to say we'll find out we won't yeah. find out how, <laughs> how we would um, so obviously this pod's about blank moments and when you were younger you stopped really younger you stopped playing for a couple of years didn't you, you sort of switching uh, yeah I, did, I didn't I didn't stop for a couple of years I, I stopped for probably like it was probably more like three four months I think um, because I I'd gone down to a school in Cambridge um, and then it hadn't really worked out for me at all because of like homesickness and then like the coaching I didn't really get on with the with the coaching and then kind of like like really dented my confidence a lot um, I guess just I guess just being a young kid not really handling it that well and also before that point you know everything was going well for me I was you know I was really good I was one of the best in the world and then that sort of dented my confidence quite a long time, you know, and like my level dropped and things like that. And then, you know, I was having more fun doing other things. Like I was playing golf like every day and, you know, mom's like, look, you don't have to, you know, it's play tennis if you don't want to like take a break and see how it is. And, you know, like I, I stopped for, for yeah, a few months and didn't, I, I don't even know if I missed it that much, to be honest. Uh, but of course golf you can't play that all year round in Scotland so <laughs> like it comes to like yeah. autumn and stuff and you need someone else to do so yeah. sort of got um, got back into it and yeah kept kept playing but like I said by the time I finished juniors like I wasn't really you know I wasn't setting the world light or anything like that um, that's pretty crazy your, your mum you were number one in the world as a kid and your mum's like you don't have to keep playing yeah, yeah, yeah. you're literally the best in the yeah. world that's yeah, crazy I mean, yeah I think I think for them like our parents they just wanted us to be happy with what we were what we were doing um, I, I mean even like once I was once I was a prof- professional like you know I, and I started concentrating on doubles I got my ranking up to 30 really quick and you know again like I just assumed that you know I'll just keep going up my ranking I'll keep getting better and you know, I'll be in the top 10 or whatever. And that kind of didn't happen. I started to plateau and then like my ranking dropped a lot the next sort of two or three years. And I, was, I had to drop down. I was playing challenger tournaments basically because when I looked at like, because I plateaued and then I was looking at the guys at the top and how they played and said, okay, this is how I need to play if I want to be at the top because mm-hmm. this is what's working and successful. But it was none of the, really the skills that I had as a player. So... You know, I spent time trying to like change my game and stuff, which was stupid. Obviously, looking back and you know, know knowing that now, um, but I had like a lot of different skills that a lot of people didn't have, um, 
and eventually when I started to work with my coach again, Louis Kaye, he's like, look, I really believe you can get to number one in the world, but you just have to listen to me. <laughs> yeah. So Are you good at listening? Uh, my wife will say no. Yeah. I'd probably agree with her. Uh, I think tennis kind of teaches you to be quite yeah. selfish, I think. Yeah. Um, so I was able to kind of do that for the most part, I think, and like stick to sort of my game style and use my strengths to be effective and, and find ways to to win and like even now today I mean I'm still playing at, at the top but I still have to keep like reminding myself that you know these are my strengths this is what I'm good at this is can be effective against all these different types of players uh, because still like the game is kind of still quite power based mm. a lot of like big serving big ground strokes and um, can sometimes kind of get caught up in all that yeah so even though even though you are at the top you still have to Psych yourself, I guess psych yourself up or, or remind yourself you know how good you are and stuff you, you still have to G yourself up I guess is a better way of phrasing it yeah because like, I guess it doesn't matter at any level like it's all relative and for me if I'm playing you know I think like, I don't know what my ranking is now I think it's like 8 or 9 obviously my expectations are high so when I go to French Open for example last week you know, we're seeded two in the tournament and so I'm going in there thinking, right, you know, we've got a great chance to win this tournament. We obviously could lose in the first round. We did lose in the first round. But, you know, equally we could we could win the tournament. Mm. So, you know, if I lose and I'm, you know, we had another couple of bad results going in there and it's like, you know, are you rubbish or you doubt yourself and stuff. But, I'm all, but I guess I'm, I'm doubting myself against that level of competition or the players that I'm coming up against and competing against and you know maybe I'm not as good as them or whatever but yeah of course in the grand scheme of things I'm still really good at what I yeah. what I do do tennis players ever see like sports psychologists and stuff like that sort of help yeah them I mean I, I worked with a sports psychologist for a few years friend of mine up in up in Scotland um, and I th- I'm sure a lot of players have. I wouldn't. I wouldn't necessarily say they work with them constantly, and I don't know how much they travel. Mm. Um, and I guess probably one of those things that, like players don't really talk about because mm. it's maybe like you know sign of weakness or whatever. Yeah. So, but yeah, I mean, I I definitely have. I I don't think like I think with that with sports psychology, you kind of have to find a person that works for you mm. because everyone has like a different take on things a different way of working and it's about that connection right yeah. at the end of the day so you know I like John Mathers is a guy that I um, that I worked with um, but I did some stuff with him when I was when I was young when I was, probably when I was starting to get back into tennis having stopped for a few months um, and then just like kept in touch with him for a long time and then probably sort of 2000 and 13 to 2016 like worked with him more sort of uh, regularly while I was playing on the tour but for me like it was it was a good thing and I had a lot of amazing results when when we were doing our our work and like I was I was committed to it so I mean I definitely recommend it but I think you just have to find that person that works best for you which is not always easy you know Mm. and I think a lot of people they'll go to see a sports psychologist think you know they maybe have no connection with that guy and or girl and be like 
you know, that's, that's rubbish, it's not for me, it doesn't work, which yeah. actually is not the right kind of mindset. Well, I guess sometimes you're looking for a quick fix as well, aren't you? Um, yeah. And, and like you say, if you haven't got that connection, yeah. then that's not going <laughs> to... Yeah, and gonna I think people do, people do want a quick fix because the, a lot in sports, results-orientated, yeah. right? Like, there's, there's no... Like, I don't have time necessarily to wait a year for this to work yeah. because if I keep stinking up for a year, you know, my ranking's going to drop, no one's going to want to play with me, and, you know, it's going to be a lonely place. But <laughs> Back to the singles. Yeah, exactly, yeah. And no one, no one wants to see that. So, yeah, so you are looking for that. Yeah. You are looking for that quick fix. And even that, whether that's, you know, with your mental game or, you know, technical aspects and stuff, like, you know, if, if, if I have, like, a huge deficiency in my game, I don't have time like i don't have six months to figure that out and break it all down and build it back up again because like i've got tournaments almost every week and and big tournaments so how how do you find out your ranking do you get like a text message or something or what no no we have like yeah 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 yeah. (laughs) no i mean on the on the atp website like they update it every week so it's like a 52 week like rolling ranking and then there's the there's like january 1st to december 1st ranking which is like the the race to London for the tour finals right at the O2 so you're just seeing it at the same time punters are seeing it yeah 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 oh, right. yeah I thought you'd have and there's like a couple of apps there's, there's an app that you have that has like the live tennis ranking so you know they're getting updated as players are winning and losing matches during the week and whether they're defending points from the yeah. year before and things like that which is uh, which I've is quite cool i figured out the point system because it's they're quite yeah I think in in tennis that's like that's that's a problem that that we have to like this sort of casual fan or non-fan yeah because tennis is on tv all the time and you know for example we play at Wimbledon and obviously everyone's excited about Wimbledon and Wimbledon's the greatest tournament in the world and it's massive but then the day after the finals you can watch two or three ATP tournaments in Europe on clay and it's like well you know is that event important? Like, mm. what does that mean mm. in the grand scheme of things? We've just had Wimbledon, which is like the pinnacle of the tennis career. Yeah, yeah. And I think fans sort of can kind of struggle to sort of follow it all like that. It can be a bit um, can be a bit complicated because there's a lot of tournaments on the on the calendar, um, and then obviously the point system as well. But then I wonder, like, do fans really care that much about the points? Are they worrying about that too much I don't, I, I don't think they care that much about like I said Wimbledon you win you get 2,000 points but no one's writing about that no, yeah. no, I, I no player is like yes I won Wimbledon I got 2,000 yeah, points, points. <laughs> yeah, yeah I'm doing it for the points yeah. Yeah, it's not it's, it's, it's like not the like FIFA that, yeah. rankings like yeah, okay. well, I'm here a third in the world what yeah because yeah. I won all those friendlies like, yeah. It <laughs> yeah it's true right yeah, it's yeah. true um, and then obviously the next week you go to play tour- and they're playing for 250 points so I I guess if people look at it like that, then they think, well, actually, okay, this tournament's rubbish because yeah. yesterday that guy was playing for 2,000 points, Federer yeah. against Nadal or something. Um, but yeah, that's, that's a problem that I think tennis, tennis has because there's so many tournaments and there's so many different events on that have different level of, of points. But I don't think the f- average fan is really that 
bothered about that or looking yeah. into it too deeply. It's the, I literally, literally the first time I've heard about it. Yeah. So there you go. Yeah, I wouldn't get too worried about it. Yeah. Trans world sport. Like when I was a kid. Yeah. 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 Like that. Yeah. Yeah. And they used to always do the the rankings for tennis and golf and like Greg Norman was the golf number one for about five years, but I don't think he only won about two majors in that time because he just. Oh, right. well, so why is he still number one? He's only yeah. won like the like the the Open once, you know, in that time. But I think it's similar thing. I guess if you're just doing yeah, I don't course. understand the golf one at all because you know the person who's number one has like I don't know when Tiger was like number one forever. Yeah, it was like he has eighteen point seven five points. You're like, well, what does that mean? Yeah, yeah. you know. So it yeah. means like when you win a tournament, you're probably winning like one point three points. I'm like, well. What? <laughs> Sure, there's a better system than that, yeah, but yeah, yeah. it's still the same today. It seems like. Yeah. But. So I just um, you're talking about coaches um, uh, a few minutes ago. How important are they then? Because in football, like you hear about the coaches a lot and the managers when they switch teams and stuff. But are they are they as important in tennis? Did you never hear about them at all? I don't know who anyone's coaches. Yeah, yeah. I think. Well, I mean, the coaches. Yeah, the coach is really important to me. I guess each person probably wants something different from their coach. I mean, you might want, you might just want to have like a good connection with them on like a personal level because obviously you've got to travel with them and again, you've got to spend lots of time with them. Yeah. So maybe the personal connection might be more important than, than you know, what they're delivering yeah. to you, the content that they're delivering to you. Um, but then equally, somebody else is, role reversed um, and there's a lot of different like um, factors that go into making making a great coach for me personally like I like information so I want sort of feedback and stuff on what what I'm doing and like Alan McDonald my coach he does like an amazing job of um, with all like the sort of stats and stuff from from the matches um, so we can kind of you know, kind of be on top of like what's working, what's not working, what I need to either improve for the next match or, you know, be working on in the practice court for the next few days ahead of the next the next tournament. So that stuff, like that's important to me. But then like he's one of my best friends and I've known him since I was about six, seven years old. So like it is it is very important that you get on well with them because mm. you have to travel you know? what's the dynamic because obviously you're playing doubles so you're obviously your partner has their own individual coach role. yeah, yeah. How, how do the coaches work together <laughs> yeah that's <laughs> again that's yeah. I mean like with with me and Bruno for example like Alan was like my full-time coach for like so he would do all my tournaments he doesn't he lives in Scotland so he doesn't work in work with me when I'm home here mm. um, and then Bruno he had his coach Hugo but then I also had like Louis Kaye, who, yeah, is my coach, but he works for the LTA, so he, you know, looks after other players as well, and he doesn't travel that much. So he would kind of, he was almost like sort of head coach or like team coach. Mm. So like Alan, I guess, would be helping me, Hugo would be helping Bruno, and then Louis kind of like overseeing yeah, them yeah. and maybe like a sort of like sporting director or something, <laughs> something like that. Yeah. 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 <laughs> But it worked, like it yeah, works, yeah. it works good. But again, that's the thing is like for doubles, it's difficult because, you know, I'll have my philosophy of how I want to play and, mm. and my co- or my coach will. Um, but then, you know, Bruno's obviously got his philosophy on how he wants to play. 
and his coach will too so you kind of like have to put it all together and find yeah. a way to make it to make it work because you're not always going to be like on the same uh, same page yeah yeah and I guess coach you know I guess in tennis and like things you, you, they have to be doing different things they have to be a, a guide a mentor um, a technical some some technical to, to and do you watch matches together as well do you do, you know watch back yeah so we games? yeah I mean we are fortunate that uh, a lot more of the doubles matches are uh, covered now mm. so we have access to all those all those matches and then we have like analysts at the LTA that tag, do a lot of tagging for the matches like that that we play and also who like our opponents would be in the next oh, okay, game okay, yeah, yeah. so we get a lot of information a lot of data from from that which which well for me helps a lot because like we were talking before, the margins are so small in doubles, and you're talking about like two, three, four points being the difference in each in each match. Um, so for me, like I like knowing or going onto court knowing that you know this team they don't really do this play, or they like they don't really or they rarely serve to this spot on the court because um, it's just like just it's like marginal gains, and it just kind of gives me a little bit more of a of an edge and it's something something else I don't have to worry about mm. which is which is good that sort of sorts sports science kind of element to it yeah definitely yeah. yeah and I don't know how much I mean we're fortunate because we've you know we've got a rich federation so they're able to put money into that side of it mm. um, but I don't imagine like many many other sort of players or teams kind of have that level of um, support I think so say you're like you're playing a doubles match or a singles match, and you're just having one of those days where you're having lots of sort of blank moments that you, you can't get your serve in or like your shots coming off the rim of your, your racket, whatever. What do you do in in those moments? Is there anything you sort of tell yourself or any processes? Yeah, I mean, through? I yeah, like I have my own little sort of keywords, for example. So you know, if I'm struggling with my serve, which happens often I would say because like every day is different you know and you never have the same feeling so for me like my serve if I'm hitting um, if I'm serving too slow for example and I can see that on the gun for me is like the lag in my hand which probably means zero to you guys but, <laughs> but to me it does so for me it's more just like relaxing my hand so yeah. I'll step up to the line and I'll kind of you know, shake my hand yeah. out a bit, get attention out, and then just focus on having like really, you know, loose wrist, not like gripping the racket like yeah. super tight. Or if I'm serving the ball, if I'm serving a lot on the net, I'm not getting up to my serve, then I focus on seeing the ball go up off when I make contact with it. Because obviously, serving, people think like you have to hit it down, but actually, the ball still has to go up first for it to come down. Because if I hit it straight down, it's going to bounce like. In, right in front of me <laughs> and I look like yeah. a numpty that's how I say yeah <laughs> um, so like stuff like stuff like that yeah. and it's important that you have I guess keywords or processes that you can go to to yeah. to figure out because otherwise you like you will end up panicking and then it'll kind of go from from bad to worse and I think like the more I've played and the more matches I've been involved in just like experience you kind of learn how to deal with those things to get to get through those those moments and 
like being able to slow your mind down as well because often like things can go at a million miles an hour and you know you're stressed or you're thinking about the finish line or what that might mean to win that match or you know swings of momentum and all of a sudden things are going against you and then you're thinking about losing and shit what does that mean or you know okay now I'm gonna have to change my flight and <laughs> yeah. you know I'm still yeah. on court playing but like got all these thoughts running through my head but yeah. it's important like to be able to channel it yeah or get rid of it and just focus in on like playing that one point because ultimately that's the only thing you can control right yeah because I imagine before you know it that point's gone that game's gone you're like yeah. oh I'm like three yeah, games like, down or yeah, set down. I'm on the Eurostar back to London. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm wondering what happens. What about the match point moment though? When you know it's like, yeah. I mean, for example, can you take yourself back to like your first big win? What What's that moment like when you're? Can Can you like you're saying you've got loads of stuff boozing around? Are you thinking oh, I'm going to be lifting that trophy up at the end? Of it's funny because sometimes, like, sometimes, like for whatever reason, you're just like you are in the zone and you're able just to control your thoughts and you're not thinking about anything else and just that one point and like you're really in the present but then like you don't necessarily know why you were able to achieve that sort of mental mm. that mentality in that in that moment because then a month later you might be in the exact same situation and like you've got like a million thoughts going in your head your mind's racing and it's yeah it's it's difficult i mean yeah, I guess the biggest thing is being able to stay in the moment and play point by point because mm. it's easy to, you know, you see the finish line and you see, and you know what that means and, you know, lifting a trophy or beating a top pair or, or whatever. And it's easy to kind of start to rush and, you know, just yeah. I want to get I want to get there and not actually concentrate on like what's happening in the now and just, you know, keep doing what you've been doing to get yourself to that to that point uh, and if anything like in that stage you should be more confident than you were maybe at the start of the match because you've obviously played yourself into that position so you're obviously doing a lot of things right yeah, so yeah, yeah. why in that moment would exactly. you maybe start to doubt yourself yeah. or or worry or whatever if anything you should have more confidence than when you when you start but self-doubt is such a natural emotion of course human yeah. human emotion yeah, yeah. we all have it yeah no matter Absolutely. what level you're at and that's that's like one of the greatest skills in sport is being able to to control that and and park it and just like for me standing up on the baseline getting to serve and just being able to think about that contact that I'm going to make on the ball or you know that spot on the ball that I'm trying to hit and just commit to that and not worry about maybe missing the serve or okay, if I miss that serve, then I'm going to have to hit a second serve, I'm going to be under yeah. pressure, he's going to hit a good return and I'm going to have to hit a tough volley and then what's going to happen, you know, it's just being able to like, okay, I <laughs> throw the ball up, I'm going to hit it yeah. at 11 o'clock and I'm going to run to the net and that's it. Because that's, that's all I can yeah. control, you know, yeah, for all yeah. I know, the guy might spoon it into Rosette <laughs> because he's also feeling pressure, yeah, of course. you know, yeah, yeah. it's not just me, like everybody else on the court is, is feeling it as well, so... Our second serves, like the mo- they must be so precious. precious yeah, yeah. If I screw this up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, yeah. Second serve, like in a key moment, is yeah one of the hardest things to do because, like, it's easy to want to control to get the ball in, and then everything goes slower, and you try to you know you try to control it, but actually, like, faster is safer. Is what my my coach always tells me, and like, you know, the more sort of 
racket speed or the speed that you get on the ball you know you get more spin so then it's going to bring the ball down mm. but if you try to like cozy in there yeah you know that's i would just go underarm seconds yeah yeah, yeah. Control. well that seems to be coming back into tennis now so yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah i've seen it a few times yeah. can you do that yeah you can do it yeah, yeah it's, it's, legal. it's legal yeah, yeah. Oh. it's more a sort of uh etiquette thing i guess yeah but like yeah. i if, if it doesn't like it doesn't bother me because like you see guys i mean it doesn't happen in doubles but you see in singles like nadal he's standing like 10 meters behind the baseline so yeah. why would i not just drop shots yeah. and make him do exactly. full, yeah. full sprint up to the net yeah so i think it's like i definitely think it's valid against some guys but it's a difficult it's a difficult shot to play it's a really difficult shot to play, like to be effective i i, I think but I guess if you practice it enough, which obviously nobody ever does, no. you know, you could get quite good at it. Yeah, yeah. I see this. Is... <laughs> yeah, we're onto something. Yeah. Could, become yeah. a, could become a signature move. Yeah. Has, has preparing for tournaments changed, though, as well, as, as you've got older? Or more experienced, I should say. Yeah, I think, like, you learn... You start to understand, like, what works best for you. Mm. So, for example, like if I'm going into Grand Slams, like I don't really play a tournament the week before or it would never be my intention now just because, one, I don't like... If, like if I do well in the week before, okay, that's great and, you know, I won matches and I'm confident, but then I arrive to the tournament late so then like my preparation there is a bit rushed, you know, and you're just trying to, you know, get to grips with the whole event because there's obviously a lot more going on around some of the, the Grand Slams, um, you know, you just kind of feel a bit rushed and I, I don't like that. Like, I'd rather just take the week, be rested, be mentally fresh because it's, it's a long two weeks, a lot, of, a lot of tennis if you want to stay till the end mm. and, you know, do my practice, do my gym, look after my body, make sure I'm sleeping at the right times and eating, uh, eating correctly. And so I know that when, you know, the tournament starts, like, you know, I'm ready to, I'm ready to compete. I'm not, like, tired from the week before stressed out because I've only had like one day's preparation and I can't get on the practice course because there's 500 players trying to get on those practice courts yeah. and different balls different conditions and stuff like it's yeah finding find the right tension in my rackets like stuff like that so if I get the week before and I get used to conditions and what's gonna what I have to expect there I just uh, I prefer that it's more for me it's more like it's a com- more confidence thing yeah yeah you know when tennis players you're about to do a serve and they're like bouncing the balls. Yeah. And then they're like looking at the balls and choosing them. Yeah, okay. What what are you doing? So I mean if they're look I mean if they're looking for the best ball, they're probably looking for like the newest ball. Right. Because they can you know, it's yeah. gonna travel faster. So you can tell that air. from like maybe if like the slash and your logo is yeah, like. Yeah, starting to wear bit. away or something, yeah. yeah. But I mean, to be honest, like the guys you know, we, we change balls every seven and nine games, so it doesn't really get to that mm. point. But maybe like on clay, for example, you know, if it's like a heavy day, the balls get scuffed yeah. up with clay, so then they're heavier and stuff. Whereas, right. you know, maybe because it's the clay's wet and certain shots that the guys played that, you know, it's just scuffed up the ball. So this is actually this cleaner ball. It's better to play with. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, it'd be like a football match for like every like five minutes getting a new ball out, wouldn't it? Which I kind yeah. of do anyway, actually. Well, yeah, the yeah, balls go true. out. Yeah. 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 I was saying a lot of players now have a little. I mean, we talked about Nadal earlier, but he has quite a lot of ticks and stuff. Yeah. Before he serves. Yeah. Doesn't he? I've noticed he kind of. Yeah, he's he got his routine his going. Yeah. 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 Do you but have, it's funny. Do you... I mean, I first I first met him when we were 
eleven. We were eleven. Yeah, yeah, yeah. we're the same age. And he was doing that stuff. Not not like all this stuff, yeah, but yeah. like picking his uh, shorts. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. So he, I mean, he's been doing that like all his life, which I guess is just like a, I guess is a tick. But then it's yeah. you know it's developed into other stuff as well. Like, and he's got his full full on routine. But, but I think most players. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. He's got to get like the 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 water balls in the exact same position that you put them down in. And yes. Oh wow! Yeah, it's 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 pretty hardcore. I mean, I think a lot of a lot of players have their own little superstitions. Yeah. You know, like they'll take balls from the same ball kid. You know, they probably, you know, again, some others probably put their balls down the same yeah. the same spot, or they use the same shower at the tournament. Um, do you know, and if someone's in it, then they'll wait. Yeah. Like I, I do the shower one. Do you? I do the shower one, yeah. Same shower every, yeah, every match. Yeah, yeah. Um, I do that. The balls with the ball kids sometimes. Um, but does it yeah. become a superstition on, the, like, say so you get a good shot and you think, oh, okay, I want that ball again? No, I don't do that. Some, mm-hmm. Sometimes you see that. Sometimes yeah. you see that from players. Um, I, I don't do that, but it's, I wouldn't say it's like that uncommon for people to want certain balls yeah, in certain yeah. moments you know you can see them because he like points the ball kid who's on the other side like yeah yeah you know give me the <laughs> give me the ball yeah but yeah just whatever whatever yeah, yeah. works right <laughs> yeah, yeah exactly it's fine margins as we said yeah it's fine margins <laughs> yeah. i find superstitions funny because like they obviously like they don't work they're not a thing and you're still going to lose games at some yeah, point yeah, course, and yet people yeah. still have them yeah yeah it's but, like a comforting thing isn't yeah. it yeah it's like calming like well, yeah. like we're saying about the psychology is so, such a big thing part of it and when you're doing a sport like tennis yeah where you know where the, the onus is on you and you and a partner and you haven't got necessarily a backup of 10 other people or it is so like, yeah. like in team sport then yeah you are kind of scrabbling around for little things yeah because so much have. is out of your control right yeah. so mm-hmm. if that's something that you feel like gives you a bit of control back then you might that's why you might I'm end up doing that I'm what would you do players like, after they've retired and they're like still, you know. Well, I think when they're down sixty, you're still gonna be like touching. <laughs> on, like, on no, but there's guys like they won't let you touch like the grips on your racket, so they won't let you pick up their own their racket. Really, I, mean, I don't care about that stuff. Yeah. But some guys are like that, you know. They don't they don't like other people touching the rackets. Weird. Yeah. You get really precious about everything. I'm a bit OCD. I suppose that OCD. Yeah, it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. I guess you. Well, yeah, there's a lot riding on it, isn't it? Yeah. So, yeah. I don't have any superstitions. Nothing to be superstitious. Yes, there's nothing riding on it. <laughs> um, I do. I won't walk over three drains. Oh, I do that as well. Yeah, I, do I do actually, will walk yeah. three drains. It's bad luck, apparently. Okay. I, I don't. I don't like if you're open, you can see what's underneath. I don't like. I wouldn't do that. Just like no. in New York, it's terrible for that stuff because yeah. I, I hate it. I feel like I'm gonna fall through. Yeah, them or that's something. right. Yeah. Actually, New York. Yeah. Yeah. So you've travelled all around the world. Where, where, where's the fav- Where's your favourite place? Uh, you got a favourite place? It's um, a good question. I mean, I like we're fortunate because we get to go to like some amazing places. Mm. I like going to New York because I like the energy of the city and, yeah. and the buzz. Um, I mean, like the European swings nice because we do like we do Monte Carlo, Barcelona, and then I go to Madrid and Rome, and then we go to Paris. Nice. Like it's it's good spots. Uh, Barcelona, I really like. I think I could live there. I really like the city, um, and I'm trying to think actually, where else? 
But do you get much down? I like going to Australia in this, yeah. in January because it's like middle of winter for us. Yeah. It's, yeah. Everyone's always happy there, you know? Yeah. They're always excited to go. And they, they put on a great event. And the good thing, like the amazing thing about Melbourne is that the tournament is like right on top of the city. Oh, uh, okay. So, you, you know, you're like 10 minutes from, you know, if you drive there 10 minutes, you get to like all parts of the city. So it's, uh, so that's really, that's really cool. It's a big like strength of their, of their tournament. Um, is, I've got another unrelated question. <laughs> is it is it weird but everyone in your family being famous? <laughs> because normally the sports person, like one of them, is the famous one. Yeah, everyone's I mean, famous. I mean, I kind of like remember when I like my mum ended up. She had like more Twitter followers than me. I mean, she still does, obviously. But I was like, what is that? You need to do strict yeah. <laughs> I know. Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. I mean. I guess it's I guess it's cool because, like for me, it's almost like, you know, for different things. Because I mean, obviously, Andy's had like incredible career on the court and singles and like achieved so much, mm. so many amazing things. But then my mom has obviously done a lot of different things in her, in her own right, um, you know. And and for me, like all the sort of initiatives and things that she's yeah. put together to like bring tennis to to the masses and take it into sort of, um, you know, rural areas, certainly up in, in Scotland and mm. all these random places that she gets in her van and, and drives around to introduce people to, to tennis and give them the opportunity to try it. And then obviously a lot of the, like her Miss Hits programme and, and getting young girls into tennis, um, like I think is really, is really cool. And she's done so many amazing things for so many kids in in not just in scotland but across across britain um and i think it's like for her it's right that she gets recognized for that mm. because it's like you know she's kind of doing it on her own in a way like it's mm. it's a sort of you know she has a she has a she has a, a little bit of a team around her but it's a, it's a one-man band thing in a way and it's kind of sad because you know after like everything that we've kind of achieved you'd think there's probably like, there should be more support behind what well certainly what she's trying to do yeah, because yeah. you know she she knows she knows how to one like get kids into tennis get them enjoying it and give them the skills that they need to you know progress in tennis if that's what they if that's what they want to do and we've had in our country such a you know major issue of, of being able to do that mm. um, and she's someone that you know, it's probably the best in the world at, at doing that and I think she should get more support for that. Agreed. Yeah, well, I think, I mean, you guys, the Murrays have kind of like made tennis cool again in Scotland, I think. You know, you kind of revolution. Oh, of Great Britain. Yeah, Great Britain, yeah, like, exactly. One family doing that. Yeah, I mean, I think obviously Andy created like huge interest level in, in the game uh, over the last like 15 years, basically. And because it's always been on... Well, Sky, you could watch him pretty yeah. much his whole career, you know, play every match, watch every match that he that he plays. And I think I think that's probably why people have quite a sort of, I don't know, like affinity to him or they've like seen him kind of like grow up from, yeah, you know, this so, yeah. kid, through, you know, this 18-year-old kid through to, um, you know, this, well, this become a sir basically and family and kids yeah. and all that stuff. Um, yeah, it definitely created like a huge interest in the game which wasn't which wasn't there before I think yeah it's and you guys seem like quite a tight family as well 
I mean, didn't you, yeah, you yeah. your brother used to call each other tight or something? Tight. Read on yeah. the Wikipedia page. Yeah, we, yeah, we, yeah. What was that we used to, yeah, it's funny because we, like when we were, I mean, when we were kids, we, we, we always like play these games and we were, we were like fairly creative with that stuff and we used to play, um, like we'd have our trophies that we'd won and like the big ones would go at the end and then the small ones in the middle, so like the net, you know? <laughs> and then we'd play like over the trophies with like a sponge ball and these like tidy rackets. And we'd play these, uh, we'd just play each other and we loved it. I mean, we spent hours, hours playing these games and like we'd never end up fighting, but we just, we just love like the competition yeah, of it yeah, and stuff. Yeah, and yeah. It was, uh, it was fun. And we'd be playing, obviously, like get close and you'd be like, you're so tight, or you're so tight, you're so tight. <laughs> so we just get started calling yeah, each yeah. other that, you know? Uh, and then it kind of stuck, like, for for ages, yeah. Yeah, that's what brothers do, though. I've got a younger brother as well. And What's your name? Oh, we, didn't, we never, we never <laughs> that's a good question. We never had, we never had anything. I just, just used to call him very rude names. On a podcast. That's what brothers do, though, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, exactly. You sort of yeah. love and hate each other at the same yeah. time. Yeah, and we were so close in age, so yeah. we could do the same and things and together. Have so much in like, common, yeah, you know, so, which is not always the case, you know. And that's nice if you've got. Yeah. That. Yeah, yeah. It's, just, it's just annoying when your brother's good in the same thing you're you. good in. Yeah. It's annoying. Like, let me have this thing. Yeah. My brother was always better than me at football, and it was always very annoying. And people always ask me that, like, because obviously I was older as well, and I was mm. better than him probably till we're about. 14, 15, and then he, uh, you know, he started to accelerate a bit of his, with his career, but like, you know, I'd never bothered me or that, I was just like, happy for him, you know, that he was doing well and, you know, being a success and, you know, I was like proud of everything he's achieved Mm -hmm. because it's, it's, yeah, remarkable what he has been able to achieve with a tennis racket and, you know, we wouldn't get that in Britain for... No, I'm sure he's really proud of what you've, you've achieved. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I think. Well, so. I think it's rare to have two, you know, two two yeah. people from the same family in the same sport, both at the top of their game. Yeah, that doesn't happen very often. Yeah, it's such a unique a thing that we that we were that we've achieved. Yeah, absolutely. And the cool thing is that we've been able to like experience great moments together on the court yeah. through doubles, basically. Yeah, um, and playing for a country and in Davis Cup and like winning Davis Cup in 2015 and some of the matches that we oh, that we played was like was amazing yeah. yeah and those are the like those are the memories that I'll remember when I've stopped yeah. playing like yeah for sure yeah sure. I think he's just probably better wearing Christmas jumpers on Twitter than you yeah, yeah. <laughs> I love that picture <laughs> it was brilliant yeah yeah, yeah for, me, for me the I mean the, the jumper obviously was was funny and you know his face but just like he's in like my grand's chair it was like 100 years old it was like a tiny chair <laughs> You know, and then like the yeah, the decorating in the back, like it was you know, it's an old person. I was I just thought the whole thing was so was so funny, yeah. Oh uh, yeah. And people talk about that, they they, they remember that photo, like yeah, it was a huge that, yeah. Yeah. Funny. Well it was good because like he had this reputation of being like sort of boring and uninteresting, but yeah, yeah. I think it was the exact opposite, wasn't it? Yeah, definitely, yeah. I mean he's like yeah, he's character, you know, he's got a good uh, good sense of humour. I think he obviously, you know, he, he got stiffed by the by the press when he was when he was a young kid. And then, you know, he kind of was on guard for a long time. Yeah. And, That's you know, a lot nice. of people kind of obviously took offence to what was what was said, even though it wasn't said in any malice or anything. But again, that's, you know, you can 
twist words and the, and yeah. the journalist obviously you know he, he did him up good and it you know it was a long time before he kind of got comfortable with the press and you know the public started to kind of you know warm to warm to him um and yeah it's for me that was like a big it was a big shame it took a long time for people to see his personality and stuff and also see how much like he you know he care and stuff about mm. his tennis how desperate he was to to win it like at Wimbledon especially for you know not just for himself but for you know the British British public well, I didn't know at that moment where he cried after the 2012 Wimbledon final yeah, yeah. where everyone was like oh yeah, yeah he's human yeah and I think it changed the whole perspective yeah. of it. and obviously and you don't have to answer if you don't want to but like when you guys were young you went through a hugely traumatic thing as well at school do you ever think about that ever play on your mind or um no, not not really. I mean, we were. I think. I mean, I was ten at the time, and obviously, it was like a, yeah, it was like a really shocking thing that happened, like a terrible, terrible event. And you know, so we knew the guy that had did it um, because we'd gone to like some of his boys' clubs and stuff. So yeah, it was a terrible thing to happen to, you know, to the school, to the town, and like, for, you know, for for me. I, I don't know if, I don't know I can't honestly say it had like whether it had an effect on how I kind of grew up and lived my life or personality that I have honestly honestly can't can't say that but um like for me I'm just I'm just kind of happy that now like Dumbling's kind of remembered more in a more positive light than mm. than for than for what happened at the at the school um and that's not to say we should forget obviously what yeah, 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 what yeah. happened but um yeah, I'm just happy that people re- can remember Dunblane for other things now. And these, those things take time sometimes, don't yeah, they? Yeah, yeah, of course. Sort of yeah. come out of the public conscious yeah, and stuff. Yeah, and yeah definitely. Yeah. yeah. Um, we've run over time massively. No, we it's been do. wonderful. We <laughs> yeah. always feel like we can sit and chat <laughs> yeah. for hours. It's been great. Thanks so much for No, that's all right. It's been fun. Yeah. I enjoy it. Thank Making you for coming. Making me a cup of tea with the oatmeal. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> been great it's lagging off my football skills yeah. it's, it's been wonderful that, that happens actually in most podcasts <laughs> um, before we go we do normally ask our guests if they've got any advice for people going through a blank moment which is obviously interpretive but you know we've touched on things a little bit about you know the things you do when you're on court but yeah do you have any advice for people that might be struggling with a yeah with a I, blank I guess I can only I guess I can only speak from my own experience in the sport that I do and that is that if I'm you know struggling with my with my tennis or I'm going in I've got you know a big event coming up or something like for me it's just like preparation is the most important thing like whether that's you know spending more time on the core doing working on the things I need to do or whether that's getting in the gym and making sure that I'm in as good a shape I can or speaking to the right people or making sure I'm well rested or mentally fresh going into the event like yeah it's just it's just preparation because for me that gives me confidence to know that I've done everything I can going into this event and you know then what happens happens you know I can't control Mm. the result obviously um, but I'm giving myself the best chance to perform as well as I possibly can Mm. Do you, I've got another random question. I think about so many random questions about this. Obviously, like playing at Wimbledon and stuff. Do you ever like eat strawberries and cream? Yeah, sure. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Like, are you allowed? It's like, well, yeah. It's no one tell me off. Oh, because 
Yeah, I mean, in the in the player restaurant stuff, they have it. So, you Is know, that I just kind of thing? yeah. I mean, yeah. you pay for it like when you you get money on your badge, but like I'll bring it home, you know, like every day, come back with strawberries and cream, just put it in the fridge, and then <laughs> eat it when I want to eat it. Or my wife, like she loves it. So, yeah, we get stuck in. Uh, do other do other tournaments have like their own signature food? Shrimp no, in Australia. Yeah. <laughs> Don't think so. Paella in Barcelona. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't think so. It just, I just, I think it's just Wimbledon. Yeah. Feels like a missed opportunity. Yeah. Australia is probably like, it's probably like Heineken because they've got like <laughs> so a huge they, Heineken bar there in the grounds. Yeah. Oh, okay. Uh, and it kicks off. Yeah. They don't even sell <laughs> Fosters there. Yeah. <laughs> we get all the crap stuff from like <laughs> other countries. Yeah. Cool. Well, Jamie Murray. Yeah. Thanks for the podcast. Thanks a lot. Cheers. Thank you. Well, there you go. Jamie Murray there on the Blank Podcast. What a nice guy. Really lovely guy. And it was very nice of him to host us at his um, place. And he lives in Wimbledon. Of course he I'm does. I'm sure he won't mind me saying. But yeah, which is, you know, you wouldn't expect him to live anywhere else. Wow, well, so, yeah. exactly. It's great. It's like a footballer um, living in Wembley. Yeah. Um, and yeah, so it's really nice of him to host us that on the day. And yeah, it was just a really great chat. I mean, it was great to, you know, it's the first time I've really talked to Jamie in person. So it was lovely to chat with him. And he's a really lovely guy. Yeah. And very open and honest about, you know, the sport. And talked a lot about um, those times when he was a teenager playing. There was a period in his life where he didn't play for a few months and how, you know, he noticed a lot of his peers around him improving a lot. And he had to sort of, think about adjusting his game and actually finding that doubles was probably more suited to the way he played and yeah. so that was really interesting all that kind of stuff yeah lots of stuff about ball tossing as well so that's obviously yeah well yeah i knew you'd what get else some do you expect on the, on yeah. the i mean you try podcast. and segue it into all our discussions but you know <laughs> it was the perfect person to ask about ball <laughs> yeah, yeah um yeah thank you very much jamie thanks yeah, for joining brilliant. us really really great and good luck at wimbledon absolutely of course yeah yeah let's let's hope he can add another trophy to his hall yeah, because he's got a fair few. He has. Uh, speaking of a fair few, uh, we're still getting loads of questions, not questions, um, tweets. And yeah, lots of lovely tweets. Got one here from Cat Roberts. Um, Ick Bin Cat is her handle on Twitter. Nice. Uh, bravo for Blank Pod's chat about social anxiety with Reese Shismith. We've actually had a lot of messages about this. Yeah. Really touched a lot of people. And so thanks for Reese for opening up about um, being in, you know, in group situations and uh, uh, do's and affairs and how that sometimes is tricky if you're a shy person and it's really resonated with a lot of our listeners so yeah 100% articulating how I feel most days interesting to hear his perspective from someone else in my industry um, albeit the other side of the stage so that was really nice message from Kat Um, we've got loads of messages about that um, particular episode it's really struck um, a chord isn't it it really has it really has actually we've got a message here from Nigel Stewart who's, who's sent us quite a lot of nice messages this one's actually about the Gary Neville one uh, one of the things I've learned about Blank Pod is that I always hear at least one thing that really strikes me as great point uh, Gary Neville said something like never believe that you've made it 
and that's really excellent. So that's a nice little message from Nigel there. And thank yeah. you, Nigel. Yeah, and you're right. There has been like little moments in each podcast uh, where that have really sort of struck home with us as well. And and sometimes we notice. I notice when we're in the middle of the conversation, there'll be something that really resonates with me and mm. something that I take away from the conversation. Yeah, we're lucky that all our guests come on and they're very open mm. and. and Oh, they offer lots of great advice. Yeah, absolutely. Which oh, we are so lucky for that. We are. Um, and thank you very much for your for your comments. If you want to tweet us, you know your thoughts or any moments and pods that you've enjoyed, uh, like Nigel has there. Our Twitter handle is at blank pod, uh, and we're also on Facebook and Instagram as well. And our handle is the same. Yeah, at blank pod. Just might to make things easy. Mm. Um, and you can email us if you'd like as well. Our email address is the blank podcast at gmail Oh yeah. That was, I actually don't know what it is. It's the blank podcast, 2018 at gmail.com. That's the one. Uh, and that's it for this week's pod. We're back, of course, next week. We with are. An, with another guest. Yeah. Can't promise there'll be talk of ball tossing, but there might be. Who knows? Well, no, there won't be. I'm sure you'll try and get it in there somehow. It's, it's the only reason I'm here. <laughs> uh, so have a good, good week, mate. Yeah, and you. Thanks, bud. Take care. And our listeners as well. And we'll see you again next week. Goodbye. Bye. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18. Plus. This is a Glass Box Media Podcast.